This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from the state capitol in Tallahassee. That's two L's, two S's, two E's, and a whole bunch of SOB's. A special master hired by the Florida Senate concludes the governor's decision to remove Broward County Sheriff Scott Israel for failures at the school shooting in Parkland was wrong. The Senate meets in special session next month to decide if he gets his job back. A new report on violence and victimization says 10% of the middle and high school girls in the state have been raped, and over the past year, 18% have considered suicide. Child advocates are calling for reform. They believe the state system for helping these girls is actually making things worse. Wildfire season's still a few months away, but the state fire marshal's office says home fires are a lot more dangerous, and they want you to be ready. A Florida man who used to be the third-ranking attorney at the Department of Justice returns to Tallahassee to talk about marijuana. Jesse Panuccio says it may be popular with people, but regardless of what the states do, it's still illegal under federal law. We'll also check out your daily political calendar and catch up on the latest kerfuffle from Florida Man. But first, our daily tribute to capitalism. Florida is a great place to live and do business. Let's keep it that way. By supporting the Florida Competitive Workforce Act, legislators can do the right thing. To remain competitive globally, we must be a welcoming state for everyone to live, work, and play. 11 Fortune 500 companies, 35 major employers, and hundreds of small businesses support the act. And 68% agree it's wrong to discriminate in employment, public housing, and accommodations. Go to floridacompetes.org. Tell your legislator to hear the Florida Competitive Workforce Act. And now the top stories on Sunrise for September 26, 2019. An attorney appointed by the Florida Senate to review the ouster of the Broward County Sheriff has concluded the governor was wrong and Scott Israel should be reinstated. Ron DeSantis signed an executive order back in January removing the sheriff because of failures by the Broward Sheriff's Office during mass shootings at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School and Fort Lauderdale International Airport. Special Master and former State Senator Dudley Goodlett was hired by the Senate to investigate, and he's just issued a report saying the removal was improper. Goodlett says there were obvious mistakes by deputies in responding to the school shooting, but he says the governor did not prove the allegations set forth in his executive order as the justification for Israel's suspension. Now, this does not mean Israel gets his job back automatically because it now becomes a political issue. The state Senate has the last word on suspensions by the governor, and Senate President Bill Galvano has announced a special session from October 21st to the 25th to consider the findings of Goodlett's report. If Republicans decide to make this into a partisan issue, they have enough votes to uphold the governor's action, regardless of the recommendation from their own attorney. A new report from the Dolores Bar Weaver Policy Center says girls in Florida are facing a crisis, and the state's way of dealing with them makes it worse. LaWanda Rivora says there are reasons why good girls go bad, but the system is more concerned about controlling behavior than figuring out why. Their lives are defined daily by bullying, physical abuse, sexual abuse, trauma, and a sense of hopelessness. Yet, we often find that the adults who interact with them, who have the power to change the trajectory of their lives, focus on behaviors and not the trauma and the need that is driving those behaviors. They're not focusing on what is causing the girl to hurt. When they go into systems, the adults begin to label them. Girls are labeled as manipulative. They're labeled as attention-seeking, withdrawn, aggressive, sullen, disrespectful, and promiscuous. 
the system's response continues to focus on controlling behavior instead of addressing need. Researcher Vanessa Patino-Lydia says they found alarming rates of violence and victimization among girls in their communities, their schools, and even their homes. One out of 10 said they had been raped, and 18% say they considered suicide sometime during the past year. In their communities, one in eight girls reports she does not feel safe. One in 10 girls reports being forced to have sexual intercourse. And there were differences by race, ethnicity, and this sexual violence was higher among girls who identified as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or unsure of their sexual orientation. In their schools, one in three girls report not feeling safe. And one in 10 reported not going to school because they felt unsafe. Two in three girls reported experiencing verbal bullying at school. One in three reported physical bullying at school. And one in three reported cyberbullying at school. And additionally, one out of five girls reported experiencing all three of these types of bullying. But Lydia says the biggest surprise in her research was the number of girls who say they were coerced into sex or were victims of sexual abuse. We learned that teen pregnancy by older males is an issue. 41% of the birth certificates of babies born to mothers under the age of 18 didn't even have the age of father listed on those birth certificates. And of those where we do know the age of the fathers, 10% of them fell within the statutory rape violation law. And there were over 7,500 girls removed from their homes last year due to physical abuse, sexual abuse, parent domestic violence, or parent drug use. One of the fundamental problems in the way the state deals with girls in crisis is that they don't actually address the root problem by providing mental health treatment within the community. Ravora says they simply dump them in whatever program happens to be available. It's not uncommon for us to see a girl placed in a substance abuse program who doesn't have an addictions issue, but that's the bed that's available because we don't have the mental health services in our local community. We're seeing girls who we know have serious mental health issues ending up in the juvenile justice system because they have cycled through the child protection system, they've been suspended from school, so they start getting into trouble um, because of the circumstances that are happening in their lives. So we're meeting them in the detention center. We're meeting them in residential lockup because we have absolutely failed to provide the community-based services that are aligned with their needs. Roy Miller with the Florida Children's Campaign says this new research shows the need for extensive reform of the child protection system, beginning with foster care. And he's concerned that policymakers in the state are going the wrong direction by embracing a lock them away mentality. The reality is much of this troubling um, lack of services that aren't based on needs, that's based on trying to control kids' behaviors start in the foster care system. We're very alarmed at some of the dialogue that's currently taking place about let's get back to locking up dependent children so that we can serve them better by the very system that bounced them around for years. While there have been many progressive reforms in Florida over the past decade, Miller says there are still significant rates of violence, especially among girls of color and those who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or are simply unsure of their sexual orientation. Wildfire season in Florida begins in January. This next one could be nasty, thanks to all those trees lying on the ground in the panhandle after Hurricane Michael. But Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas, who also serves as State Fire Marshal, says home fires are far more deadly. 
fire is a serious public concern both locally and nationally. Our homes, the locations where people are at the greatest risk from fire. Home fires resulted in over 2,600 deaths in the United States in 2017 alone. When a smoke alarm sounds, residents have less than two minutes to escape safely. Florida residents who have planned and practiced a fire home escape plan are prepared and therefore will be more likely to survive a fire. This resolution designates the week of October 6th to the 12th as Fire Prevention Week, and urging all Floridians to participate in this year's campaign titled, Not Every Hero Wears a Cape plan and practice your escape. Patronus has the title of fire marshal, but that's a political thing. He relies on professionals like Julius Hallis, the director of the state fire marshal's division, to spread the word. October 6th through the 12th, uh, next month is fire prevention week. Nationwide, there'll be um, fire prevention and public education going on throughout the state. Make sure you have in your home, every home needs an operating smoke alarm. Uh, please test it. Make sure you have a fresh battery in your smoke alarm or a 10-year sealed battery. Again, uh, wildland fire prevention is also very, very vital uh, with all the vulnerabilities statewide. And so we ask everybody in the state of Florida to please plan and practice your escape. Have a set place. When, when, when that smoke alarm goes off, know where you're going to meet. Don't just go outside and frantically look for your family. Maybe you practice and you pick your mailbox for everybody to meet at the mailbox where you'll be looking for fire rescue and law enforcement personnel to come to your rescue in your most urgent time of need. If you don't have a smoke detector in your home, call the local Red Cross. You can get one for free. They'll even help you install it if you can't handle that. Ask for one of those detectors that has the 10-year battery. Now here's something from our department of tell us something we don't know. A new study from joblist.com says Florida is one of the least affordable states to live in in the entire country. That study examined living wage data for each state versus the cost of living there. Now using those metrics, Florida, New York, and Delaware are the least affordable states in which to live. One thing driving Florida's low ranking is the large number of people moving here each day, which pushes rents through the roof. A previous report from the National Low-Income Housing Coalition says Floridians have to earn almost 23 bucks an hour to afford the rent on a two-bedroom apartment, which statewide costs an average of about $1,200 per month. Medical marijuana is already legal in Florida, and recent surveys have shown as many as 70% of Floridians favor outright legalization for adults 21 and over. Recreational use has already been legalized in nine states. It's been decriminalized in 15 others. Florida could be one of the next states to go down this path, but there's one little problem. No matter what states and local governments do, it is still a violation of federal law. That's the message Jesse Panuccio brought to students at the FSU Law School. He served in the governor's legal office and ran the Department of Economic Opportunity under former Governor Rick Scott before becoming an acting associate U.S. Attorney General for Donald Trump. Panuccio addressed the Tallahassee chapter of the Federalist Society to give his perspective on the pot problem. We caught up with him just before that speech. You know, in terms of what federal policy is, I think part of what I'm going to be talking about today is it's uh, federal policy remains that marijuana is illegal uh, flatly, except for the few uh, derivatives that have been approved by the FDA. But the rest of it is a Schedule One controlled substance and still flatly illegal. And so one of the things I'm talking about today is the disjunction between what's going on with state law and what's going on with federal law and the kinds of weedy questions, uh, so to speak, that that raises for people who are trying to operate in this area. 
Do you see any resolution of this, or is this just going to go, you know, as we work through it, we'll figure it out? Well, there needs to be a resolution, because what we have right now is essentially nationwide lawlessness, and that is not a good place to be if you believe in the rule of law. I'm here speaking to the Federalist Society, which is a lawyer's group about the rule of law, speaking to law students who are supposed to be learning the rule of law. And so one of the points I'm going to make is, if you take law seriously, the situation we have right now is untenable. The law is marijuana is illegal, and yet we have state actors and people in the state who are engaging in what they think is a legal activity under state law. So it needs to resolve itself. Whether it will, I think over the next you know, five years or so, it will resolve itself one way or the other. You said earlier you thought you would, what you were going to say here would be unpopular. Why is that? <laughs> well, uh, look, if you look at the poll results, uh, uh, the voters of Florida uh, obviously want some kind of legalization of marijuana. Uh, but the representatives of the country in Congress long ago uh, made uh, numerous controlled substances illegal. Uh, the finding of Congress is still under the Controlled Substances Act that there is no safe use of marijuana. Uh, that is the law and so sometimes people don't want to hear that the law prohibits what they want to do. And But if we take law seriously as lawyers and, and government officials, uh, we sometimes need to tell people that. Do you see the feds ever taking marijuana off Schedule 1? Well, uh, you know, if you look at the recent statements of the folks at FDA, uh, they are looking at, at it, but they still say we need to treat, what they said about hemp, for example, is we need to treat CBD, which is a derivative of hemp, exactly like we treat every other drug, which is to say we don't favor it or disfavor it. We go where the science leads us. And the science right now uh, is very much up in the air. There are a lot of dangers to marijuana, especially the THC. Uh, and that is not well studied enough to say it's safe and effective. And there are a lot of claims out there right now which are very dangerous for the public about the use of this. And what would you say to the 70% of Floridians who favor recreation? Well, uh, I would say that as with all controlled substances, we should have an informed public debate and not just watch slogans and, and Twitter phrases about it. You should really understand the science behind it and the law behind it and proceed from there. If you care about the rule of law, it should apply, and, and you take that seriously. And we, we hear politicians on both sides of the aisle talk about the rule of law all the time to score political points. If you care about that, you need to care about it across issues and not just on the ones you favor or disfavor. And you need to be able to apply it dispassionately and across the board. And so that's a little bit of what I'm going to talk to this group of law students and lawyers about today. Panuccio was the third highest ranking official at the Department of Justice when he served as an associate attorney general. He resigned in May, shortly after William Barr took over as attorney general. On your calendar today, Molly Hemingway and Carrie Severino, the authors of Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh Confirmation, and the Future of the Supreme Court, will be speaking to the Capitol Tiger Bay Club that starts at 1130 in the Donald Tucker Civic Center. The Florida Association of Counties continues a two-day innovation and policy conference in Bay County. That's at the Sheridan Panama City Beach Golf and Spa Resort. The Florida Supreme Court is expected to issue its weekly opinions. That's at 11 o'clock this morning. And Representative Geraldine Thompson is hosting a town hall meeting about education issues. It starts at 6 p.m. at Windermere High School. And time once again for the continuing adventures of Florida Man, the hero we don't need but probably deserve. A 22-year-old Florida man known as Dr. Love has been released from prison. Malachi Love Robinson was arrested after authorities accused him of posing as a doctor at an illegal medical office he ran in West Palm Beach. He was sentenced to serve three to five years in prison, but was released after just 20 months behind bars. A Florida woman sitting at a toll booth north of Tampa says her car was rammed by someone with a bad case of road rage. She told troopers a Volkswagen Beetle in line behind her at the toll booth rammed her car repeatedly while she was digging through the vehicle looking for change. Investigators at the Highway Patrol pulled the vehicle registration from nearby cameras. They tracked the VW to a home in Tarpon Springs and are still trying to find the driver. 
One final note about a Florida man who will be sorely missed. Donald Tucker has passed away at the age of 84. He served in the Florida House from 1966 to 1978, representing Tallahassee and including four years as Speaker of the House. The Tallahassee Civic Center is named in his honor because he was the driving force behind its creation. Now, back then, we called it Tucker's Turkey. He was the first speaker I had the good fortune of covering as a rookie reporter. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee for Florida Politics. Back in the morning with an all-new episode.